Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. I've been in the tech industry for about 20 years and started out a long time ago at a company called Compaq. You may have heard it. And then it morphed over the years, you know, turning into HP and ultimately HP. So I was, I was with them for quite a while. But, you know, earlier in my career, kind of growing up in that space, I spent a lot of time in learning and development and loved it. Everything from doing content creation to client engagement and ultimately leading the center of expertise for L&D. But, you know, just was really blessed to work across multiple, almost all of the businesses and functions uh, within HPE supporting L&D. And then as I was kind of coming, you know, toward the latter part of my career there, you know, I said, you know, this this focus on talent as a whole is so important. So I moved in to head up performance for the company in my last role. And then prior to that, lots of lots of time in the financial industry and banking and venture capital and accounting firms. And then last, but certainly not least, uh, happily married for 27 years. I have two wonderful kids. One is special needs. So I know all about balancing work and life that you were talking about and just enjoying life here in Texas. So thanks for asking. Awesome. And so, of course, lockdown with the pandemic happening, uh, how's life changed for you and especially with you and the leaders that you get to support uh, where you are? You know, honestly, I'm pretty pretty lucky. Dell has had a philosophy where where so many of us work from home. And so that didn't change. I just kept working from home. I'm not traveling as much, which is cool. But, you know, we're so technology oriented that we've been using that technology to connect. But, you know, not getting out of the house, that's a different story, <laughs> you know, but we're yeah. all good and healthy and and you just got to work through these things, but everything's good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Hey, Tracy, if I was to ask you a question, which is, who is your favorite mm-hmm. leader? And, and that person could be alive or could be from history. So who is your favorite leader and why? Wow. You know, you're. I kind of struggle with those favorite questions <laughs> because there's a little bit of something that I really appreciate or admire in so many people. And so to, just to kind of go with this person, you know, it's challenging to me. But I'll try to be good to you, Dennis, and give you something uh, here. You know, I think as I'm looking at that circle of people that I admire, and it is a circle, you know, and I'm pulling from from that circle accordingly, I think. I look at a leader and to admire them, I have to trust them. That That's probably the first and foremost important thing to me. There's nothing to me more rewarding than trusting relationships. And then as, as I've become more experienced, 
I'm really turned off by ego. I'll be honest with you. I love a confident leader, but I want high confidence and low ego because I think this creates a better partnering environment for me as an employee under another leader. And I need to be happy in my work. So that's incredibly important. I also tend to admire leaders who are not afraid, open to try new things and grow and willing to change their mind. And then I think, you know, probably last, and I'm sure there are other things, but a a, a passion for people, not, you know, surely at work, but honestly in the world. You know, I want to see the leader who is more than just a title or a job. And I've become much more interested in looking at companies and their leaders just to get a sense of how do they give back to others. Um, So that kind of gives you a feeling. But if I had to kind of give you names, because you asked, (laughs) I would say um, Michael Dell, and I'm not kidding because I work there. um, It was a conscious decision to come to Dell based, based on all this. I'm at a point in my career where, you know what, I can be a little bit picky. And, and I think more and more people are being picky. I don't think you have to be where you are in, in your career. I think more and more people feel like they have the right to be picky. And I wanted a culture of an organization and people that I felt were, had value systems and, and that mattered to me. And this, and this company, company did it for me. They walk the talk and their culture code and their leadership principles and their people philosophy. And so the environment here is awesome. So I, I really do appreciate what Michael has done for the company, but others just outside, Richard Branson, I think he's cool, entrepreneurial, very philanthropic. He's a little bit quirky, but I like that. Oprah, because she digs in on tough subjects, but she seems well-balanced. Brene Brown, because she's positive and real. Jeff Bezos, because I think he's interesting. He's just interesting. And, he, and I happen to get a lot of Amazon products here. And then <laughs> Maya Angelou, to me, she's wise. She's very wise and I admire her and grounded. So, you know, that's a little bit, none of them are perfect. None of us are. I'm sure there's good and bad in all those leaders, but there's a piece of them that I find positive, something that I can pull on as I think about how I want to think or show up in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. So you can take bits from everybody, mm-hmm. but to to help form you as a leader to see how you show up in the in, in the world of leadership, which is pretty cool. So when you talked about high confidence and low ego, mm-hmm. there's a lot of leaders out there today who struggle with the confidence side of things. And what do, what do you think is when you see a leader that has high confidence? What do you think is one or two or three things that they may have in place that helps them to have that high confidence? I think it's they've had leaders that they've worked for that help them grow and get that confidence. I think some people are naturally confident. Don't get me wrong. You know, maybe sometimes overly confident. (laughs) But I know that I personally have gained confidence when I've had leaders that believed in me. And Mm. they let me go and do things. And even when I faltered or failed, they still had my back. And that gave me confidence to keep at it. And, and so I, I, I found myself in a lot of environments that weren't punitive. Now, I have had punitive environments, and that is where my confidence dropped. Yeah, yeah, great. So when you have a leader behind mm-hmm. you in the sense of they're there to support you, whatever happened, mm-hmm. right, with the good times and, and sort of the hard times, they're there to support you and they, they helps ingrain sort of confidence and helps you and then gets you, allows you to go to the next level yeah. as well, which is 
really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. And um, not sure we, or I don't know. Do do you see much of that happening nowadays? Is there, or is there, is there a, is there a gap? In other words, we need more leaders. To I, do that? In my world, I'm seeing more of it now. I will tell you. In my earlier years, and I don't think this is a, a, you know, a reflection on my career. I think it was more of a style of how people were expected to behave at work or how leadership styles have evolved over time. I think it was different. I experienced much more of the, I don't know, the boss mentality than a leader mentality. And, mm-hmm. but what I see at all levels, you know, are people more focused on supporting and enabling and inspiring. And yeah. yeah. And and so I'm really digging that, honestly. I'm proud to see that in our company, but I see it with other leaders outside of the company too. And and that that makes me happy. Thank you, Dennis. Background's such an interesting question once you get old, right? <laughs> so it's like how much or how little. I was I was orphaned at 15. I spent the last two years of school with my with my best friend and his family. And then I didn't have the opportunity to go to university. I had to go out and get a job. So I I got a job, which was an amazing job, actually. I wish they had them these days. More companies should do this. And I know you're speaking to CEOs out there, Dennis, so I'm going to tell people what it is because the younger CEOs have probably never heard of it. The job was a cadetship. And literally what it was, was it's like an apprenticeship in an organization. So You sign up for two years and basically my first three months, strangely enough, I worked in an auto parts company, which was strange because I know nothing about cars, but but my first uh, three months was in the store and I was packing boxes and driving forklifts. And then I went from there, I went straight from the store into the advertising and marketing department. So I learned marketing the very next thing. And I was literally in those days, painting billboards for the fronts of shops and things like that, which is what happened. From there, I went into, actually, I went in to be the CEO of the company's assistance assistant. So basically, I was in all the board meetings. I took all the minutes. And then I went from there into the importing and exporting department. So I learned all about importing and exporting in the next three months. Then I went into one of their branches, which was really in a high tech thing. So I got to visit all the big factories like Bosch and 3M and see what they were doing and stuff like that. And then from there, I went into the retail side of the business and I did three months as a sales rep. So I was literally driving around in my company car. And by the time I finished, the company actually pulled the program. I was probably in the last batch of people that went through it. And I really think it was fantastic. So by the time I was pushing 20 years old, I got my first management job and I was really, really experienced in all facets of not only this company, but business. So I stayed with that company for another two years. Then I moved into financial services and I grew through the ranks there as well. I was the leading manager and out of, I think they had 1500 at the time in the company uh, by the age of 27. Then left that company, became a professional musician for a few years, lived in the US, and then got back into financial services in New Zealand and uh, ended up being general manager sales and marketing for what at the time was the largest financial service conglomerate in the country, 250 million of budget I had to get a year. And then in 2002, I became an entrepreneur, speaker, author, 
own businesses in real estate, construction, travel, um, talent management, uh, the list goes on and on, events, et cetera. So that's really been my journey. And, and these days, you know, we love to travel. We love to work with entrepreneurs. My partner, Landy, and I, who I know you know really, really well, um, we just have a heart for, for people who are building companies. So whether that be the entrepreneur or the intrapreneur, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really a heart for leadership. And in 2017, we started the Conscious Leadership Movement around the world, which now has about 2,000 members. And yeah, that's, that's been our journey in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. In a nutshell, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, even just what you've shared with just about the, all the different roles you did within the company, how did that set you up for future roles by having the ability to actually and experience and actually doing all these different roles? How, how did that set you up? Well, I really think that, you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm what's called a polymath. So I'm all over the place, meaning I'm good at everything and an expert at nothing. So although Da Vinci was a polymath, so one would argue that he wasn't an expert at everything. But from that aspect, that gave me variety. It allowed me to see what I liked and didn't like. So I, very early on, you know, by the time I was 20, I went, I never want to get my hands dirty. So when, a, when the opportunity came up for me to enter into financial services and wear a, at that stage a three-piece suit to work, I was really chuffed, man, you know, and the idea of going and getting on planes and going to different places and things like that, and that was just, and it still is, there's still just the adventure in me. It's probably my Sagittarius as well, but from that aspect, I think it was fantastic, and that's why I said, you know, the CEOs listening here you groom amazing people from it. You know, the people that I saw and that I went through, there was a group of eight of us went through. We we're all the same age at that stage. I just turned 18 when they recruited me and everybody else was about the same age. Some were 17, some were 19. So they were really talented people and they grew lots of talents really quickly. And, you know, I think if the leadership of the company hadn't changed and I think if, you know, they hadn't have closed that off, I would have found it very difficult to leave that company because I really understood it. I understood the industry and everything within two years. And, you know, there's an old saying, and I know you know this, when you look at somebody and say, how long has he been doing that? And they say, oh, he's been doing it 30 years. Well, has he got 30 years experience or one year's experience 30 times? And most people have one year's experience 30 times, but this just gave you so much vast experience in such a short space of time. I really highly rate it. You know, and that's why internships work and things like that as well, for the same reason. Yeah, I think uh, for organisations, you know, thinking or taking that extra approach as well and using graduates in the sense of giving them the opportunities to have an all-rounder type scenario over those first couple of years to give them different uh, experiences and that, that will play pay and also play a big role in actually helping people in their lives and their careers going forward. And I remember a senior leader within Hewlett-Packard a few years ago in Asia Pacific, and he was his next role was to head up their whole region. And he actually took a sidestep role and almost another level down, but in a totally different organization. And people sat there scratching their heads going, what are you doing? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Well, within 12 months, he leapfrogged everybody and took that bigger role because he had a wider experience and bigger vision based on those different roles that he had done. And when they actually stepped back and looked at his career, it wasn't just that one role he did it. 
he did it on several roles whereby yeah. he went and got those different experiences and and that set him up for success within the organization and then later on when he moved on to other organizations as well. Absolutely. So, Mike, who is your favorite leader? Now, that's somebody who's alive or somebody maybe from history. So who's the favorite leader and why? That's a tough question because I'm tending to lean to politics on it. And that's a no-go zone, as you, as you know. So I can definitely say I've got some very unfavorite leaders in the political field. And at the moment, they're ones that most people think are very good. And the ones that probably most people think aren't very good, I tend to think are doing some pretty cool work. But I would say that my most favorite leader probably of all time is probably Alexander the Great. Okay. And why? Why, why Alexander the Great? He is Macedonian, Dennis, not technically Greek. So, you know, you might have that point, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting over that. My new book, Conscious Leadership, which came out a, about a month or so ago, as, as you know, and, and thanks, thanks for buying it. The very first chapter, the introduction on that was on Alexander the Great, and it was on his humanity, really, with Darius of Persia. And Darius really thought that Alexander was a flea in his, you know, on the dog. And he really thought that he was going to be able to get rid of him. And the first time that they fought, you know, Alexander brought about 20,000 people. Darius had 100,000. And Alexander just turned his whole army to toast. And Darius ended up running away. And the humorous thing was that he ran away. Darius left all his gold, which he was dragging around with him, all his wives and his children, which he was dragging around with him. So Alexander got his family and got everything. But instead of killing all those people, which you see in, you know, like Game of Thrones and, you know, the, the Tudors and everything like that to, to get rid of them, Alexander basically said to the wife, Andy got Darius's mother, you know, you are a queen and you are the king's mother. So that hasn't changed. So you will now just be a queen in, in my realm. And so he treated them all like royalty. He, in fact, treated them better than Darius had treated them. And he treated any of the army that wanted to come and work for him in the same way, he treated them reverently. And so when he fought Darius the second time on the plain of Arabella, which is now in Syria, just near the, the border of Turkey and, and Iraq, this time Darius brought out a whole lot more people. Alexander had, you know, a pretty mixed up army by that stage. Again, he, he slaughtered everybody. And then when Darius ran the second time, Alexander, of course, chased him, but Darius had a revolt and one of his generals who was really unhappy and wanted to take over Persia killed Darius. So when Alexander found the body, he wasn't rejoiced, he cried and he took the body to Babylon, which was a long way and buried it with full royal honors as a king should be buried. And then he hunted out that general and he delivered that general to Darius's mother and they had him tied between a few trees and torn to pieces as his justice. Now, later on, after Alexander had conquered all of that and done all of that, he actually, he did what a lot of people do when they get to the top, he self-destructed. But I think when you ask me the question, why is he my favorite leader, leader is because he had vision. He went to places unknown. He could enlist people. People believed in him. I mean, you know, go to Egypt today. The northernmost town is Alexandria, the greatest library and basis of knowledge in the world 
was in Alexandria, and that's named after him. I mean, so many settlements in the world these days are named after Alexander the Great. It's a shame that it all got to him in the end and he became a drunk and all of that sort of stuff. That's another story. But, but you know, given that he didn't have the internet or anything like that, that's probably a pretty, pretty good one. My favorite modern leader was my first mentor, Steve Bielos. I worked with him in corporate and he was an amazing man. I still know him today, he's 73. And he taught me business and he taught me sales and he taught me a lot about life. So, and he was Croatians, sort of all coming from that region, I think, around the world, the med. Yes, I did have a career change and it's, um, it's been quite interesting. I set up a uh, mortgage breaking business from scratch, having uh, not come, f- come from the banking industry and not knowing uh, much about finance at all. And um, which was, uh, I suppose, an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage of it is, is that I didn't have any bad habits or didn't carry in any baggage there from, uh, you know, that sort of industry. Disadvantage was, was that I didn't know that banks would actually pay uh, us to introduce business to them. So that took about three years to uh, to get through that. But the the major advantage of it was that a lot of people that were in the industry at the time came out for, you know, they, they had very much a how would you call it, a finance personality? Maybe a lack of personality for some. I mean, I don't want to be rude at all, but, you know, there's certain ways of doing things. So so I'd come into it from the point of view of thinking, okay, let's – I'm not a banker. I'm I'm, I'm not a finance person, but I'm really interested in marketing and I'm interested in this thing called the internet. So really it was back in 19 – oh, no, 2001 it was. I set up the business in 98, but 2001 was when I built a website, and that was when I really got interested in the digital technology. So I I didn't know how to build a website. I remember buying a website. It cost me $10,000. I bought two, $10,000 at the time, and I needed to uh, discover that uh, it didn't come with the content, the website or anything. I actually had to put it all together. I just bought a platform. And so the platform that I paid 10K for back then is something you can get for free these days. Yeah, so, so I, you, I... Sorry, so you're saying that the platform that you paid $10,000 for is what you and I can get for free nowadays? Absolutely, yep. So that's how much things have changed in that space of time. So it's like, what, that's 20 years ago. Wow. But yeah, but you know, I, I um, I'd have to say that uh, it was one of the best ten thousand dollars I'd ever spent, because I dove headlong first into this thing called online marketing and digital marketing. It was not a not a word or a term back then, but you know, I was creating as we went along, and I built that business from a uh, from nothing, from a startup, to uh, selling it uh, ten years later and being uh, awarded in the. Mortgage Broking of the Year uh, awards in my uh, final year, and um, being acknowledged as a uh, as a leader in the industry. And so we've done we've we've done some things with that uh, business there that no other uh, finance or mortgage broking firms were doing before. And essentially, what it was was bringing ideas and ways of doing things from another industry into the finance industry, and it worked. And uh, and it really sort of turned things on its head to, to the point that, uh, you know, when I sold that business, then, uh, you know, there were a lot of other mortgage-breaking businesses that, that were starting to do the same sorts of things that uh, that we'd been doing for years. So, and, and some of those, just to give you an idea, is, you know, we used to run seminars on 
property investment back then. So, you know, looking at your, your finances and mortgages and, you know, how can you use all that so that you can grow wealth? And it was all geared around uh, superannuation because back then there was no KiwiSaver or superannuation plans at all. And so it was really, you know, so for people that were interested in that side of things. And I was interested in it myself. And and so those were that. And, and we're, a lot of the online stuff, emails, for instance, we were one of the very first mortgage-breaking firms in New Zealand at the time to email in uh, loan applications. So before that, they had to be faxed in. And I still remember that to this day. It was um, we I emailed it into uh, National Bank. That was the very first time we tried it. Got a call back uh, in about 15 minutes and said, oh, we don't accept uh, email uh, applications. We only accept them by fax. And I remember saying, so what's, what's the difference between an email and a fax? If you print out the email, it's the same sort of paper that comes out of the fax machine. He said, oh, no, we don't accept it. I said, oh, well, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm just going to fax it. Off, so I email it off to uh, Westpac. He said, well, hang on a sec. Hang on. Let's let's just have a look at this. So <laughs> so they ended, up, they ended up accepting it. And from then on in, we were emailing applications in. And not long after that, then it started to become the norm. And that was just before the mortgage aggregators came into New Zealand and uh, started to uh, you know, band together a lot of mortgage brokers. So uh, I suppose, you know, back in those days, I was uh, interested in, in doing new things, trying new things, and uh, I'm, I was quite happy to put my head out there and, you know, on the chopping block and uh, be sort of a leader of the pack, if that's what you call it. Nice, nice. Yeah. So leaders tend to do that. So here's a question for you, Nick, and I, I love what you say about your background there and how you did that and were leading from the front. The, the question I've got for you is, who's your favourite leader? Now, that person could be alive or they could be from history. So who is your favourite leader and why? Well, I'd ha- I had to think about that, but I would have to say that my favourite leader to this day still is Robin Williams. Mm. So, and, and it, was, uh, it was his role in the Dead Poet Society where uh, he got, uh, if you haven't seen the film, he was a, uh, he was a teacher and he was a bit of a, a maverick teacher and he, he certainly didn't go along with the flow. He did things differently. And his whole concept was to get people to see the world in a different way and to think differently and not to go along with the flow and not just to accept you know, common opinion and common ideas as truth. And I remember there was a scene in that movie where he uh, got the uh, kids, first of all, to rip out the preface of the book there, which had the uh, comments from a uh, prestigious person who was talking about how good the book was, and, and but it really had all their opinions on how to read it. So he says, rip that out, don't even read it, just rip it out, throw it away. And then the next thing he got people to do, the kids to do, was to stand on the desk. The purpose of standing on the desk, he got them to look at the room and he said, now, how does this look? And it was it was uh, getting them to look from a different perspective that they wouldn't normally see things from. So standing on the desk is frowned upon. It's not the sort, sort of behaviour you expect in a public or private school, but uh, you got them to do it to break the rules. And when you break the rules, you, um, you realise that the rules are not actually there for any other purpose but to be a rule. And then to break them has got no devastating consequences, but it has got a real upside and you get to see things that other people don't see. So yes, Robin Williams, I think, is is the, my favourite leader. I mean, he obviously went on and, and did Good Morning Vietnam as well too, which was uh, you know, another movie about Vietnam and the message in there was uh, was good too. So, I mean, it's, it's a fictional character that he was playing. But the way he put he uh, put his energy into it, I think, was just uh, fantastic. Yeah, I love that story. You talk about how he got people to 
to break the rules by standing on the desk and doing something different, but then being able to see things. The impact was they could see a different perspective. And and I think sometimes that's what stops a lot of people is that they are stuck in their ways or they do certain things, but they don't always see a different perspective. And being having someone to come along and facilitate that, to help that along, that's that's really, really quite that's I was going to use the word precious. That's pretty special mm. when you can find someone like that to help people see a different perspective, for sure. Well, I think so, also that, uh, you know, the, thing, the, the way things are doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way things should be. And it really takes people with uh, some courage, conviction, or, or someone to lead the way to, uh, you know, get people to see things from a different perspective. And I see it all the time on social media. Like I spend my life on social media because, you know, I'm in digital marketing. So, you know, always on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. But you see a lot of the time people are either for things or they're against things. And then when you when you ask for reasoned comment or reason why they have that position, not many can really articulate it. So the only reason why they're for something or against something is that's what they believe. And when you know, where does that belief come from? Well, that's come from somewhere, but it's not something that's been formed, you know, in their own brains or from their own experience. It's just something they've inherited. So I think that uh, today, more than ever, we need more people to actually question the status quo. Question: you know, Are these beliefs that we've got are they valid? Is there any real substance to it? And there maybe there is, and that's okay. But at least I think the the whole point of questioning things uh, is the most critical thing that uh, people could do today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.